All right, good morning, Westlight. Um, my name is Lori, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, let me open up with a word of prayer before we begin. Dear Jesus, we just thank you so much for who you are, that you have just such a beautiful name, that you are, um, there's no one like you. And we just honor that, and we just want to worship you today. And, and I pray that you would open up our ears and our hearts and our eyes to see you, that you would touch us and that we would be changed because of who you are. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, so as you know, as you saw, we are continuing our sermon series called Emerge, and we're going through um, Luke chapters 3, 4, and 5. And, you know, during this time when Jesus, you know, comes out of, emerges from his private life into his public life, there's some very, like, clear lines between, you know, the poor and the rich, right? Male and female, free and slave. Um, you know, if, whether you're religiously clean or unclean, like people knew who they were based on who they were. Like you knew if you belonged to your group based on who you were. Like who you were was really, really important. And it's the same way today. I feel like our, our, our country is the same way, right? Whether you're, uh, you know, whatever you think politically or your gender, or where you land socioeconomically, your, so, your sexual orientation. Like, there's these, these bubbles, these lines that are clearly drawn between us. We're very divided. And even in the church, right, we have it. There's a very clear line divided between, you know, the conservative evangelicals and the progressives. And it's very clear. It's very, you know if you're in or you're out based on where you land inside the lines, where, where, who you are. And it's just these power struggles that keep going on. And, 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 and if you're like me, you're probably like the Jews, and you're like, Jesus, just fix our country. And, then, you know, you want, we want Jesus to come and, and just take things over and fix it. But if that's the way he does it, then he's just that, he's just, you know, for, uh, contributing to the cycle of power, right? And it's just going to perpetuate the current system that we already have. And so Jesus is like, okay, we're going to do things differently. We're not going to come in power, and we're not going to come in control. We're going to do it different. And how he does it when he emerges into his public ministry is he does it within the culture. He does it within the system um, that already exists. And so within that culture, it was um, very embedded in the Mediterranean ancient world that if um, you had resources to share, any resources to share, you would share it freely without anything, expecting anything in return if you were family. Okay, so you, you know, just, I would give you whatever you needed, resources, anything, and I would give it without any expectation of returning the favor if you were my family. But if you were not part of my family, or if I didn't share with you, then it was very clear that you're not my family, you're one of them, you're a stranger, and you're just, you know, you're on the other side of the line, right? And so Jesus is like, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. It's not going to be us and them, but I am going to invite everybody to the table. I am going to share my resources, everything, who I am. I'm going to share it not just with God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, but I'm going to open up to everybody. So it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you have power or you don't have power. It doesn't matter if you're a male or a female or sick or unsick, whether you're clean or unclean. I mean, it doesn't matter. His grace and his love was made available to everybody. And 
And it's the kind of love that sacrifices for one another, for the best of the other. It's like, I'm going to, you know, he, he modeled that for us. We know he sacrificed, you know, the things that he wanted. He came down to this earth and sacrificed, you know, to be with us because that was for our best. And so he did it just because that's just who he is. He didn't expect anything in return. And so today we're going to talk about how Jesus loves because of who he is, not because of who we are. Like, it doesn't matter who we are. Jesus loves because of who he is. And Luke 4, 31 through 44 illustrates this, and that's what we're going to look at. So as we know, um, as we talked about last week, Jesus escaped death in Nazareth in his hometown. He went to Capernaum, a small fishing village, and people from all over were rushing to see him. They were hearing about what he was doing, and they were rushing to see him because he was doing these amazing things. And so they all gathered in the synagogue, and Jesus is there, and there was this man. We'll go to the verse 33. There was a man in the synagogue who had the spirit of an unclean demon. Hey, you, he yelled, and he probably yelled louder, but I'm trying to spare you guys. <laughs> hey, you, at the top of his voice, what's going on with you and me, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are God's holy one. So imagine... Well, I know some of you um, may have stopped listening to me or reading after you saw the word demon, right? It's like, what? Demon? What do you mean demon? Like, maybe Luke said demon because they didn't know everything and they just, you know, medical conditions were like just considered demon and it wasn't really a demon, right? It was just, he was really sick, right? Or you might be thinking demon, I know what demons are because I've seen the movies, right? I saw the exorcist back in the day. I know what demons are. Okay, that's not what demons are either. <laughs> or you may think, demon? We never talked about demons before at Westlife. This is why I come to Westlife because we don't talk about demons. No, you know, Kant and I were like, no, this is in the passage, and we were very intentional about this. So we're going to talk, we're going to spend a little bit of time with the demons. And it's not, not spend time with demons, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we're going to just kind of expand a little bit. It's part of my message, but it's not the main part of my message. Okay. So let's get started. Um, <laughs> that kind of sounded scary. Never mind. Remember, God is bigger and way more powerful, and demons have nothing against God. Okay. So if you look, as we were studying this, I'm like, the first word I'm going to look up is this man who had the spirit of unclean demon, right? So I looked up the word had, and it's this word, and I'm not going to say it in Greek because every language I speak sounds like it's from the South. So you think, oh, it's Southern Greek, but no. <laughs> this is Greek, and this is what it means, and it means having or possessing. And so I'm like, well, what does that mean, you know? And so I really studied it, and it was like having, like I'm having meat, or I have two arms, or I have an ear. It's not the kind of possession that we think where, you know, the demon's taking over the person's body and they have no control. No, it's just like he has a demon. It's like I'm having steak for lunch today. And so what's happening is it's more like having influence over someone. Okay? It's not uh, control, but it's more like influence. Um, but I must say that there will be people 
who seem to have more influence, who may seem like they are being controlled by a demon. Uh, I like to call them enemy spirits just because it makes me feel better. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to call them enemy spirits. Um, but so what happens is, is when you take a, these people who you might see, who seem like they're controlled by it, um, they have most likely made some kind of vow or allegiance to the devil or to the enemy. Okay, which totally makes sense. When we become Christians, we make a vow to God, right, that we're going to follow him. And we surrender control to him. We're like, you know, no, Lord, not my will, but yours, right? And we become more like Christ. Well, it's the same principle, okay? If I make a vow like this quarter, I'm going to raise my GPA, and I'm going to get good grades, right? That vow to make, to get good grades, right, that determines some of your decisions. Like, you know what? The Super Bowl is today. I got to study. I made a vow. I promised to get good grades. I'm not going to watch the game today, right? Maybe you have a friend who um, got in a relationship. He or she is dating this girl or this guy, and they make a vow to be committed to this relationship, and they start dating, and then pretty soon, you know, their girlfriend is telling them what to do and bossing them around. That's another word that we call people, right? But it's the same principle. Okay, I'm trying to make you laugh to kind of lighten up the mood. <laughs> okay, but you guys know what I mean. Um, so we have a friend, um, Bob, who um, has from Anaheim Church, and he's been teaching us a little, bit, a little bit about spiritual warfare. And the way that he explains um, the demons or our enemy, spirit of the enemy, is he, he describes them as like leeches. And I don't know if you know what leeches are, but every time I hear the word leeches, I think of my favorite movie, which some of you young people might not know, <laughs> But it's Stand By Me. And I just love that movie. And if you ever watch it, young kids, it's really funny. You'll really like it. Um, but in this movie, um, four young boys, they go on this journey to find a classmate who passed away. And they're trying to find his body. And in their journey, you know, they, they, it's like a few days journey in the wilderness. I don't know where they are. But they're, they're on, a, on a journey. And the scene that we're going to see has leeches in it. But it's really funny, but it's, um, remember that they're, they're making their way walking to find their classmate. Okay. attach themselves to the boys, right, and, and they feed on their blood. In the same way, um, demons or enemy spirits, they attach themselves to our, inner, to our inner self, our inner person, and they feed on our emotions. 
they just hang on there. They don't have total control over us, but they, they kind of attach themselves onto our emotions. And you'd think, like, when I was in middle high, we used to be totally, like, obsessed with this, right? And, and we used to tell our, you know, our leader, like, oh, you know, but we're Christians. And, and we used to think, like, if we're Christians and we have the Holy Spirit in us, that would be like the dome of protection, you know? Like, like no demons can detach us. But that's not how it works. Like, we all have problems, right, that cause, that create in us these emotions that the um, lieges or the enemy spirits attach themselves to. And so, you know, we're all really good at, like, you know, we have these problems and we have these emotions, but we're not going to, we're not going to, like, let people know. Like, we're good at hiding them, right? And we want to, we want to, we want to not let people know that we have these emotions because we want to look good on the outside and we don't want people to know. And, and so that's, you know, they love, the enemy spirits love to hang on to those, like the, our anger that we keep inside or our resentment, or our bitterness, or our unforgiveness, or our self-rejection. And so when we, those are the things that they feed on. And just like how we talked about at the beginning of chapter 4, when Jesus was in the wilderness with the devil, and how the devil, right, he took these truths of God, and he twisted them around and created lies. Those enemy spirits that attach themselves to our emotions, our anger, and our bitterness, and our unforgiveness, they do the same thing to us, right? They'll tell us lies about God, um, about who we are, about our relationships with others. And so they'll say, you know what, God doesn't love you. God is far away. Or they'll say, you know what, you're not good enough. God is never going to love you. Or you know what, your, your husband, he's irritating, huh? Or your wife, you know, she's blah, 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 you know? I mean, we could talk about that later, <laughs> right? But they tell us, they twist around, and they, they twist around these, these truths, and they, they, they lie. And, and we hear those things, and, and we start to believe them. And, and, and it's those things that really, those lies that we believe that keep us captive, that keep us from experiencing the freedom that God desires for us, that keep us from, from having intimacy, a close relationship with him and with one another. And so that's why when Jesus is like, you know, I come to set the captives free, he's talking about all kinds of captivity. And we don't, you know, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about what demons, who demons are and what they do. But we see here, just like as we saw in the wilderness, that they know the truth. You know, I love how, you know, they're, they're very clear in those verses, like, who Jesus is and what do Jesus is capable of doing. You know, are you going to destroy us? Like, they know who they are, and they know who Jesus is. They know the power that Jesus has. And so I love Jesus' response. He says, be quiet and come out of the man. And the demon threw the man down right in front of them and came out of them without harming him. Fear came over everybody. When, when, you know, what's all this? They started to say to one another. He's got power. He's got authority. He tells the unclean spirits to do and they, what to do, and they come out. And word about him went out to the whole surrounding region. And so people were astonished at Jesus. Like, all he has to do is say, get out, be quiet, get out. He doesn't have to try and conjure up anything. You know, there's no formula. There's no yelling. There's no, you know, there's nothing. He just simply says those seven words. And that's the power that he has. And that's the power that we have made available to us because we're children of God. 
And so he, you know, we'll move on. He left the synagogue, Jesus, and went to Simon's house. And Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a high fever. And they asked him about her. And he stood in front of her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. And straight away she got up and waited on him. And when the sun went down, everyone who had sick people, all kinds of sicknesses, brought them to him. And he laid his hands on each one in turn and healed them. And demons came out of many people, shouting out, You are the Son of God. And he sternly forbade them to speak, because they knew that he was the Messiah. I love that the same power that, you know, um, is, you know that, that took the demons away healed um, Simon's mother-in-law. And it healed the people who came to see Jesus. That for them, you know, they, Jesus was the hope for a better life, right? That, that people came from all around. That, I mean, it wasn't just that they would have food on the table. It meant that they really would have life, that they would have acceptance in their culture. It meant so much to them. Jesus was really just their hope for everything. And I love that, that Jesus, you know, he, he laid his hands and healed every one of them. It didn't matter who they were. What didn't matter if they belonged, you know, what group or what bubble they were existed in. And, and it's, it's crazy for me to think that there's this huge crowd of people. And Jesus took the time to lay their, his hands on each one of them. He didn't need to do it as some kind of PR move, right? Because he was telling the demons, be quiet, don't tell them who I am. It's not like he wanted to get the word out. He was trying to word, keep the word from getting out. And the most common reason why people think his, he healed people was to authenticate, you know, who he was and his ministry and his teaching. But he didn't ask them to follow him. And he didn't ask for anything in return. There was no, like, secondary or hidden agenda. There were no conditions. There was no return on investment. He healed because of who he is. Jesus' love in healing is available to everyone. You know, it was available to everyone back then, and it's available to us today. And we at Westlight, you know, we want to invite you, you know, we want to join in what Jesus is doing, right? He has his mission. He's setting the captives free, and, and he's inviting us to join in, and we want to do that. We want Westlight each one of us to take ownership of that, to, on our own initiative, to like sense where God is moving, to be ready to hear how the Spirit's speaking to us, and to like recognize, you know, when, when someone needs help, when someone needs encouragement, when someone needs support, and just react, you know, just do it, like respond and do it. And it could be, you know, we, we love the diaper drive. And thank you so much for people who brought diapers and who will bring diapers. Like, we love the diaper drive. And we thank you so much for participating. But we would love if you 
came up with your own ideas, that if you saw a need, you know, maybe it's at work, or maybe it's at school, or maybe in your friends, or your neighbors, if you, you know, if the Lord is speaking to you, and you're like, you know, and you're sensitive, and you're open, and, and you recognize a need that someone may have, because we all have problems, we all need healing, we all have needs, we all need a friend to come along and walk with us, and if you see someone who needs, like, a little help, or a little encouragement, if you jump on that, we want you to do that, right? See how you, how you can help. See how you can be the tangible love of Jesus. How you could be a person of healing that will help along with, you know, with Jesus' mission. And it might be babysitting. Some people might need babysitting. All the moms say, yeah. No, just kidding. You know, you might be babysitting for someone. It might be uh, making a meal for someone. It might be just grabbing coffee and listening to someone. Whatever you feel like, you know, if you see a need and you can just ask them, like, hey, man, you seem a little discouraged. You know, what can we, you know, what, what can be helpful to you? You want to go out and grab some lunch? But it's those things that we can do without re- expecting anything in return. Like, without the idea of, you know, because a lot of times, right, we do these things because we think, well... I'll take them out to lunch because I know if I was down, they would take me out to lunch, right? Or I'll help them move because when I have to move, I want them to help me, right? Or, you know, we have all of our reasons. Or we think, man, you know, my friend, you know, he's not a Christian, but if I help them and if I get to be friends with them, maybe he'll become a Christian. Like, that has an agenda, that has reason, right? We need to love without expecting anything in return. We have to love without condition, without expecting any return, any favors in return. And we do this because that's who Jesus was. Like, he just did it because that's just his nature. He can't help but do it. He can't help but, you know, he's the one who came to this earth and died on the cross. And he gave up what he wanted for our best without expecting anything. Because that's just who he is, not because of who we are. And so if we want to break the cycle of power, we need to do it the way that Jesus did it. Not with power, not with control, not with, you know, expecting things in return but by just loving on people, no matter what. Loving on people, no matter who they are. And that's how we're going to see more heaven here on earth.